Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. You're listening to Equally Lost, the weekly podcast where we talk about design, business, and existential crises. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Helsa. How are you doing? I am so excited that we're finally doing this. I'm like sweating. <laughs> Honestly, like I am, I'm having an adrenaline rush right now. I'm so thrilled. Honestly, I think we've been planning this for like a good two months and now it's finally happening. Yeah, I think it's even more than two months, to be honest. Like it's always been our secret dream, to be honest, to have a podcast. I mean, really, we've had like a quasi podcast since 2018 with our like two hour long phone calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not to mention the FAMPO meetings and the time. Oh my God. Oh, good times, good times. Good times. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. But I think, first of all, I think there's two things that I would really want us to discuss. But before all of that, a couple words about ourselves. Do you want to say three, like, quasi-funny facts okay. about yourself? Sure. Uh, so I'm Sophia. I am from Italy. And fun fact about myself so I'm a university student I'm in my final year of university and I study uh, international relations and economics in Milan and fun fact about me I was once camping in Hong Kong and I met a tiger you need one more fun fact I need one more fun fact um let me think uh people mm, I don't know. I have a question for you. Go go ahead. What's your hangover food of choice? <laughs> oh, this is a good question. I think um, it depends. It's either a carbonara or a kebab, a good old kebab. Both what amazing was? answers. Oh, okay. You'll find out. So my name is Elsa. I am a junior, so a third year political science student. I study in the United States. I, three fun facts about me. My hangover food of choice is spicy ramen and ginger ale. It's a classic. Nice. Secondly, sophisticated. I, <laughs> I hate wearing socks and I will not elaborate. <laughs> and thirdly, one time I was on a rowing trip and it started raining so much that we had to seek shelter in an old monastery. Well, we'll get into this story one day. <laughs> Honestly, I think these are stories that we'll be telling until like the end of time. Yeah, it's the perfect icebreaker. <laughs> yeah, well, so seeing as we both are sort of in the international politics world, I don't think we can in good conscience go forward with this podcast without addressing what happened in the United States on Wednesday. Oh my so God. obviously it doesn't need an introduction. White supremacist, domestic terrorist, um, stormed the Capitol. The police barely responded. I think it took the SWAT team like two hours to get there, which is ridiculous since DC is like the most heavily guarded city in the world probably. Um, yeah, what, what were your reactions to that? No, honestly, I, I, 
I know I think it was a coup d'etat and the fact that they still do not recognize it it's quite problematic and I mean I think you study in the US so you can give even more like better insight than me but I also you know following this um, situation evolving from abroad like from the international media it, it was just so dystopic and utopian to see people like live tweeting about you know what was going on when in your like in the same country you're in there is this political mess and you know it, it just scares me like it, it really got me thinking about how social media is so powerful and can like radicalize public opinion so easily like it, it's so scary um like how how can something like this happen right but that's like an interesting and i think completely right um and i think twitter and facebook in particular will be under fire for how they failed to stop radicalization but at the same time it's kind of like a double-edged sword because also the way that we found out about so much of this was through twitter because journalists were in the capital and they were like sharing what they were seeing so if they had actually shut everything down we would have not known much of what was going on yeah no, that's a really good point. And also, I guess that somehow like social media maintains the accountability that was lost, like in this kind of democratic process. And, you know, imagine if it was shut down, imagine the power it, it, could, it could give to authority or to the police force to act on civilians that are still protesting, like, or unarmed, unarmed people that are surrounding there, like it would just be complete like chaos and anarchy. Yeah, no, I think you're completely right. Uh, something else I was thinking about was like, you know, I was watching the New York Times live stream when it, it was the senator from Oklahoma who was speaking. He was actively uh, opposing, confirming the votes from Arizona. It was, I, I can't remember his name. It was this like white guy with a receding hairline. Uh, and <laughs> suddenly they call a recess. And, you know, in the chat, Maggie Haberman of the New York Times suddenly was like, whoa. And so you knew that something was going on. And then yeah. minutes afterward, this was like quarter past nine for me, minutes afterwards, these things started rolling in on Twitter. And even though, you know, on a cognitive level, I could be like, this is not normal. This is unprecedented. This is like a bad thing. On an emotional level, to be honest, I don't think I was that shaken up. I was more like, this is crazy. Yeah. And you can hypothesize, you can hypothesize about why that was like, first of all, like neither of us are Americans. We don't have the same type of like loyalty to the capital of the US government that Americans obviously have. Um, but also think about the sorts of things that our generation has already witnessed. Like we have lived our entire lives in a really violent world. So in some sense, I also think that we've just become desensitized to so much of this. Yeah, that's, um, that's a really interesting observation that you're making. Uh, but I think, you know, yeah, we have been witnessing so much violence, but we have never been experiencing firsthand because we're both like European, white and privileged. So... Um, also, side note, Elsa, where are you from? You haven't said that. <laughs> I know that's a hard question for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> damn, I was trying to avoid that. Uh, so I, um, 
I was born in Helsinki, Finland is also where I currently am, but for reasons that have nothing to do with me, I moved around a lot. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe um, we'll get into that. Back onto violence and uh, witnessing violence. I mean, yeah, that's true. And somehow, you know, um, social media also contributes to amplify the kind of content we're exposed to, like even with just what happened this summer with Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, um, populism in Europe. Um, and yeah, so, it, and you know, it's quite worrying that we are desensitized from it because the immediate reaction would be be outraged and to not outrage necessarily at the terrorists, but at, you know, having come to this point, having come to having this kind of social cleavage in society. And, you know, it's just, you know, and now it's just, I don't know, somehow we're just divided into one faction and the other faction. And it seems like there's no way to bridge it, but we're so used to the fact that there's no bridge that no one is thinking about how to, I don't know, unify the situation. Absolutely. But I think that's a really important point that you're you're touching on that which was that this has been happening for a while which makes it even more shocking that the police just didn't anticipate this at all right because you know as you're saying like this polarization has existed for a really long time it's no surprise to literally anyone that the trump base is white supremacist so why exactly did they make it into the capital? You know, um, and also just like this entire event wasn't exactly surprising. Like people who have been disadvantaged by Trump's policies were anticipating this from 2016. Um, and so, as you said, you know, what we witnessed with the BLM protest last summer, I think a lot of people on social media have already correctly pointed out that if this hadn't been a white male crowd, the police response would have likely looked a lot different. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think The Guardian as well today published a series of uh, photographs comparing the BLM protest um, taking taking place in DC uh, last summer uh, to the to the ones happening just a few days ago. And um, yeah, really got really get you thinking about that's really interesting about it. Yeah, and it's yeah. It, it was really interesting to see like coming from like a pretty established international newspaper like the guardian yeah and i mean like even i think it was the wall street journal who even were calling for trump to resign and given the types of things that they have published in their editorial section this past year that's a big move it seems to me yeah 100 percent yeah well that wasn't supposed to be the theme of this episode so um i think we've made good comments um how has the first week of 21 been else <laughs> elsewhere been a rocky one but it can only go up from here so <laughs> uh elaborate yeah. um uh so i had I was actually quite sick the first few days into coming into 2020. My New Year's Eve was basically me in pajamas taking paracetamol. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't COVID or anything else. It was just, you know, a normal seasonal flu. Um, and then I had to study because I had an exam on the 7th, which I think went well, knocking on wood. And 
I've just been catching up with friends and um, yesterday I went to one of my favorite places in Bologna. Um, Bologna is the city where I'm currently at in Italy. And I had like this really good uh, mint tea and it tasted really cozy and wintry, which is perfect for the weather we're having right now. How about you? I, yeah, no, super chill. I'm on holiday for literally almost two more weeks. <laughs> so, um, no, I um, have been trying to get into like better systems. Like I didn't set New Year's resolutions this year because I'm sure you've heard about this was, I think it's James Clear who wrote on Atomic Habits mm-hmm. and how yeah. the more important thing is not the goal but the system like the things that you do every day so alas I've set goals for myself that I do 15 minutes of set prep every day that I read literature not the news because I, I, I read the news for like three hours every day it's a problem um, but I, that I read literature for 15 minutes a day and that I go on a walk or a run so that sounds yeah. really good. I mean, you don't, yeah. What's the saying? Like you don't rise to the level of your, of your talent no. or your goal. You, you, you fall to the level of your preparation. <laughs> that's so, James yeah. Clear. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what he said. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. Yeah. So I should try that. Actually, I actually set my own year's and new year's resolution. And, um, you know, I, I, in the past two years, I've been reducing them. Like I, I only focus on one specific goal that I want to achieve. And I, I know I think it's just easier because otherwise, um, as an ambitious person, I, I would just set like 20 goals for myself and not <laughs> like, but you don't want half of those. And so my, my resolution is to actually like learn Chinese for real, like, and not just pick it up like I've been doing. And as an accountability system, I'm going to sign up for one of the HSK exams, which is one of the psych language certification mm-hmm. for Chinese. And so I want to do that this year. Which is quite something because you didn't do Mandarin in Hong Kong. No, I didn't do Mandarin. We I were both in self-taught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Um yeah. No, I mean that's yeah, that's great. I think like I was listening to a podcast that um I sometimes listen to while I'm like doing dishes and uh they were talking about how the they first of all, both of them, both of the hosts had like 15 New Year's resolutions. I'm not gonna say their names because I don't want to like trash talk them, but um they were like, oh, I want to be like kinder to myself and I want to like go with my intuition and I want to do like X, Y, and Z. And it's like, those are all great and noble goals, but what are like the sorts of habits that you want to build around that? You know, how do you measure whether or not you've become kinder to yourself? Yeah. And yeah, that's also the reason why I was so sad only one goal each year um, because I make sure to work towards that goal for an entire year so that the next year I will have, you know, uh, internalized that into my routine. So uh, I remember it was 2019. Yeah, my resolution for 2019 was to start reading literature again, because as you said, like I was only consuming the news or academic papers and I was just so tired of 
you know, not dry content because it was still like intellectually stimulating, but I needed something more creative or, you know, just fiction. And so I set this goal for myself for 2019 to just read one nonfiction book a month and it worked. And now I am being reading like at night. I'm actually reading a really nice book that you would enjoy. Oh, what is it? It's called um, Reading Lolita in Tehran, A Memoir of Books. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, It's a semi-biography because um, it's based on real facts, but some of the the stories, some of the people, the characters in it have been changed um, because of censorship and to protect them. And it's written by this... um, literature professor uh, Iranian literature professor and she talks about how she started this secret um, reading club uh, with a few students of hers in Tehran when she fired us fired himself from uh, the University of Tehran and it was this was during the 1979 revolution so during this wave again in Tehran of political social cultural change and they're reading like um forbidden books such as Lolita or The Great Gatsby and it's really interesting it's a really good yeah. mix of um you know um of people like passion for literature lit- literary analysis but also um you know it's quite historical but it's not boring it's it's how they lived it, how they lived that change, like in the present moment. And yeah, it's really nice. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's, I, for, I don't know how the simulation works, but, you know, I listen to these types of things and it sort of like inter, intersects with just the types of texts that I've encountered really recently. So I read an essay in the New Yorker that was about. About, like rereading Lolita it wasn't very good so I'm not going to recommend it it wasn't like mind-blowing or anything but another one was um I read this graphic novel called Persepolis which is mm. quite famous yeah. and yeah, it's it's it. talking about yeah it's talking about like Iran and like growing up as a child of parents who weren't the intelligentsia and yeah recurring themes I on the other hand have read something quite different I uh read Banana Yoshimoto's Kitchen oh my god it's my favorite book I know I love it I love it so good isn't it just like that book feeds your soul I know it's nurturing you and the style the style is so simple but so communicative it's so Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's so like, okay, so obviously it's two stories. I think most people kind of resonate with the first one. Uh, and just the characters are so kind of volatile that I see myself in all of them in some way. And it just, it's like a healing experience. And you can read it in like one sitting. Yeah, 100%. It's a very short book. Um, I think it was one of her first um, English essays. Or no, no, she wrote it in Japanese, but it was one of the first ones. And um, I read a couple of other books by her, which are really good. I like Tsugumi, but no one is like Kitchen. It's just a, it's a tale of like ordinary life and simplicity and the beauty of it and the beauty of, you know, knowing that it's ordinary and simple, but there's 
but also at the same time not knowing what to expect next yeah and I mean like trust the Japanese to make art out of literally anything Absolutely. but yeah no that um was a really great experience and now I've um taken a bit of a 180 and we've flown to Senegal and I'm reading God's Bits of Wood and it's so difficult like I'm 20 minutes into the book and it's really hard not in the sense that it's like badly written you know like some academic papers are like it's impossible to get through because it's just like horrible prose obviously not the case for this book it's just you know coming from reading kitchen where as you said the style is so simple and her sentences are very short and you know there's like three full characters there have been five characters in like the first 10 pages of God's Bits of Wood. Very different world. So it's taking a bit of time to like recalibrate. But um, yeah, excited because it's about like a labor strike. And what better than to talk about <laughs> labor and migration? I mean, yeah, it sounds very you as a book. I haven't read it yet, but I'll add it to my reading list once you give me the full review when you're done reading it. <laughs> it might take me a bit of time but sure yes <laughs> which actually this leads me to what we were actually going to talk about this episode which was reminiscing our time in Hong Kong and how we became friends the reason why this book reminds me of that is that I got it from our second dear Alice who's Welsh really and yeah because it was on Mark Iington's who's the literature teacher mm -hmm. it was on his reading list for them so yeah okay okay and then I trust it's a good book if it comes from Mark <laughs> right but Sophia so how would you say that we became friends <laughs> that's a really good question I still don't know what to be <laughs> no I'm kidding um okay I think I need to go back in time to when we weren't friends yet and <laughs> you know um so um a bit of introduction for the people listening because this is going to sound really intricate but basically me and Elsa are these two crazy people that when they were 16 basically took a plane and were like and left Europe and decided to finish their high school in Hong Kong in a boarding school for like two years um, and you can imagine what can happen in a boarding school when you put teenagers in and you lock them inside with a series <laughs> of very strict rules like curfew and etc but this is another story and me and Elsa were living in the same block which is the name we used to give to the residents um we were in block four aka the turtles block um best block ever best block ever best block ever um and so you know I remember seeing Elsa this really tall Finnish woman really confident walking around and thinking this girl is cool but I don't know how to approach her I think we could be friends um but yeah somehow we always like gravitated close to each other but we didn't really speak like ever um I mean not like seriously um and then in end of year one beginning of year two um so this me was and like Elsa, 2017 yeah 2017 right. yeah. yeah yeah um we became the leaders of a feminist group uh, that uh, was was created by my former um, roommate, um, Meher, and 
um, another couple of other four girls, really great girls. And yeah, so we were leading this thing. I wanted to bring on the legacy that was left behind us. And we started meeting at the Starbucks of Wukaisha, which is the last metro station in new territories in Hong Kong, because that's where the college is at. Like the furthest away that you could get from civilization, basically, without uh, going to like Maipo. If you want to get to Hong Kong Island from Wukaisha, you have to take like all the lines but doesn't take much it takes one hour um and oh my god i miss the hong kong mtr it was so clean it was so clean um mtr is name for the tube in hong kong for those who don't know and so yeah so we casually meet at starbucks we have a shared obsession for coffee and caffeine and yeah we discover we have a lot of things in common (laughs) I don't know if you have anything else to add. That is so funny because my story is completely different. (laughs) Okay, okay. Let's hear it. I wouldn't have even mentioned Fempo if I'm completely honest. Like, I loved Fempo, but that's not how I, like, recall us becoming friends. Okay. What I I remember (laughs) is definitely the Starbucks of Wukai shop because, so, um... Also, we just, like, studied a lot. Like, it was very, like, work hard, play hard. You know? Yeah. Um, So we'd, like... This was when we were friends already, but we'd, like, meet for breakfast at, like, 7.30 and leave campus at 8 and then go study and then come back for, like, dinner or something. Like, insane like that. Um, and it was great but the way that I remember us becoming friends was that you had the best room in block four. Oh, I did I did it was first so, year such a nice room yeah everyone was so jealous <laughs> but then I remember I knew your um your second year roommates and mm-hmm. so like you know like you said we like we're in the same circles but never really talked so that was one connection but then also you know there were some former friends that we both are friends with and then grew apart from <laughs> for legal reasons I can't say more <laughs> but, um, but I think like you know we always knew that we were on the same wavelength but the thing that I really remember cementing it was really really late in our career at LPC this was like third term so we're talking end of 2017 where we were on that hike um at the water reserve where there was like this huge dam and the reason I remember this (laughs) the reason I remember this is because everyone was so stressed third term for context in the IB is where everyone is like turning their final assignments for classes and there's a lot of deadlines and college applications going in whole different topic and so everyone was really stressed but Chiara Ferrani was pregnant at the time (laughs) (laughs) Chiara Ferrani being this like Italian fashion blogger mogul who we love she was pregnant at the time so I vividly remember we had like crossed the dam on this hike and we were walking downhill and I was like oh like do you think she's going to breastfeed or is she just going to like try and like get in shape right away? <laughs> that's true, that's and, true. <laughs> and Sophia verbatim tells me, no, 
she's going to do the good Italian mama thing and breastfeed her kid. (laughs) And I was like, this girl knows what's up. (laughs) And then I was like, to seal this whole thing off when we got down at the bus station you know with the like the the Hong Kong minibuses that like could fall off the cliff any given moment um there were these like really rude monkeys and then when we finally got out of there we went to have hot pot you remember it was like Ayala and Joseph and you and me yeah yeah it was like a vegetarian table yeah, yeah, it was a vegetarian table, yeah. And there's this, like, iconic video that I took that's literally, like, a cinematic masterpiece where Sophia's, like, telling the camera that she wants to die and everyone else looks like they've, like, lost the will to live, even though literally nothing had happened. We just were at Hot Pot and we didn't really have much to eat because, you know, we don't eat meat. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's... um I remember that and I think it's also because we had in the few moments when we were waiting for the minibus to arrive um you know Elias uh this Danish guy that lives in Greenland had the great idea of starting to eat a banana in a hill that's literally called the monkey hill in Hong Kong and so storm of like 40 monkeys come by and he starts playing with them because he's like two meters tall and the monkey starts jumping on him <laughs> and oh my after um linda one week before linda was the like she was the teacher that was responsible for our residents and our residents like activity my tutor my yeah. tutor who i love very much and um after that, after Linda told us and warned us so many times to not eat, do not eat food in front of the monkeys, do not do that. And so, yeah, so we had to wait for the second bus while the monkeys were attacking us. And then we arrived at this place for hot pot and we had great expectations, but it was like a really, really local place. And and Elsa is vegetarian, Joseph's vegetarian. Um, I don't partic- particularly like hot pot. And so we were all like, oh my God, we're done. <laughs> um, Do you remember, oh my God, this is unlocking so many cool memories, but I remember like we got out of the hot pot place and there was a 7-Eleven. And right. I think we bought like, I we bought like fucking like kinder, like chocolate bars or something. Cause we were like, we need calories right now. Yeah yeah because the thing about like vegetarian hot pot is it's not really filling like you have the broth and then you have the noodles which are really good but then you can't really add much else so yeah and also we kind of made this uh rebel move to be in the vegetarian table because the teachers weren't sitting there and we just wanted to like have a banter and we didn't want to (laughs) stressed out about assignments or which college you're applying to are you asking for a scholarship or not and yeah yeah god that was a different world yeah yeah at that time like in third three yeah in the term three um you know wasting uh wasting but i wouldn't say wasting but it felt like wasting time to just go on a trip for one day because you had so many things to do and we're into this busy work hard play hard culture that was quite toxic to be honest but i enjoyed that walk it was such a nice walk i actually still have pictures from that day i I took some pictures on the dam yeah i had like super long hair back then 
Yeah, you did. That's all Me I remember. Too. Yeah. But then, okay, so you said that at the time it felt like you were wasting time because you just wanted to go back and study. But here we are, like reminiscing this like hike we took in the middle of third term. Do I remember going back and studying after that? No, because it was the same I did every day. Yeah. Yeah, same. I don't think we did, but I actually can't really remember what we did afterwards. I don't either. Oh, actually, the story is not complete. The story of our friendship is not complete without like April, May of 2018. Oh my God. IB final exams. Oh my IB God. Exams. Me and <gasps> so um, our residents had this room that was called the computer room. There were no computers in no it. No computers in it. It was just um, this wooden table um, put across this really large windows and with a really nice view of campus because you see all the trees and um, the nature outside and you're staying inside with air conditioning on, freezing yourself and trying to study when it's May and it's like the best time of the year in Hong Kong in terms weather-wise because it's not humid enough. it's not humid yet. Um, and we, me and Elsa, basically cohabited inside the computer. Um, and we had coffee breaks, running to Starbucks every now and then. And we would make at night um, gouda cheese grilled on a toast and have um, drink like tomatoes. Not toast. We... Remember, we would like walk to Marketplace and get the legit bread. Yeah, we would get the legit bread. Yeah. yeah and then we would yeah. watch visit friends that was like such a culmination I think of our two years because so I remember this so our last day of classes was Friday the 13th in April the first exam which if I remember correctly was econ was exactly two weeks after that so we had only two weeks of like proper reading time and everyone was like furious about this so we went to like our grad dinner like our prom thing like everyone's in like ball gowns and we had this like dinner and then we came back went to sleep next morning 7 a.m we're like <laughs> camped out in the computer room because the thing is everyone knew that you had to be there early to like get the good spots because if you didn't get the computer room spot you had to walk to the library every single day and you don't want to do that. No, that's not efficient. <laughs> and I remember once we got the spots, we literally left our books and notes and yeah. every belonging ever. Like we even bought like one kilo jars of almonds to snack on. I literally couldn't eat almonds for the next three months afterwards. Um, and we just left everything there because we were marking the territory and it was just Elsa's and Sophia's spot and you couldn't move. But actually, speaking of it reminded me of one of our like regular encounters in year one um, when we weren't friends yet, but we used to have this thing with Mariana, the breakfast club. Because do you remember yes. that in year one we had, um, we uh all, all of us like me you and mariana which is this uh lovely portuguese girl um we had uh we were starting classes all of us at nine so we would meet and make like have this really good breakfast um with yogurt and berries yeah that was really nice that was a good memory i remember this 
I hope Mariana's listening to this. Hi, Mariana. <laughs> I bet she is because she is like the most supportive friend anyone could imagine. But um, no, I'd, I'd forgotten about this. Remember how like, so the kitchen was in this room called the day room, which was like the common area downstairs. And then from the day room, you got out on the patio and it was literally just like big table and like benches, I think. Yep. And it was like under the trees and there was nothing else there. Yeah, behind the trees we had uh, the sea. Yeah. There was Maomishan, yeah. Oh, it was lovely. And oh. we just, it was just like a weekly appointment. And it, it was so nice because we weren't really close, but we, we, we just knew that on Tuesday morning we would have the breakfast club and just sit there and talk and chat and have a nice breakfast because um, the listeners need to know that the breakfast at LPC, which is our college, was quite sad. In my opinion, like breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. Sometimes I have breakfast for dinner. And in LPC, the choice was either Asian breakfast, which was fine, or if you wanted to have a more Western breakfast, you had um, milk and then yogurt, which was not really yogurt. Um, and then you had three choices of cereals, cornflakes, um, some, I don't know, like, I, I don't remember the other, like the third type, but I remember there were the chocolate ones and the chocolate ones were the only good ones. And every, every time it was a fight to get the chocolate ones. And once the chocolate <laughs> ones were over, you would just eat cornflakes for two weeks because the canteen ladies um, wouldn't serve it for two weeks. Oh my God. Yeah, that was sad. I remember what the third one was. It was the like whole wheat cereal. Oh yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because it got like all mushy the second you put milk onto it. No, travesty, really. No, but honestly, I don't know if I've like become super diplomatic over the years, but people say a lot of shit about our food in the canteen. And like, was it great? No, but you know. I could no, eat I, like rice and chickpeas and be happy. Could have been worse. 100%. I think I think the first month is hard, but then once you figure out the combinations, you you do fine. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I was a vegan when I moved to Hong Kong. That ended really quickly. Ended real quick. <laughs> yeah. Because I think like after a while, you okay. So now first year. The sushi place at the at the nearest MTR station was like elite, and then they downgraded. I don't know what happened, but it got really bad. But the sushi was like dirt cheap, so if you didn't like the food, Bruce. you could literally walk to the MTR station and get sushi. I I think I overdosed on that. Like I couldn't eat sushi for two years, like for one year and a half after I came back from Hong Kong because I just ate so much um oh yeah so me and Elsa I wanted to ask you actually (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you something which was and I've heard a lot of conflicting opinions about this Mm -hmm. but would you would you it doesn't have to be RPC but would you generally send your kid to UWC I would I think like looking back at it like I think it was one of the best experiences of my life like you grow a lot out of it, you become independent. Um, and like, even like the issues that we thought we had, it was just like, 
part of life and you know it wasn't that traumatic experience as like as people some people describe it like in my opinion um not to invalidate their feelings or whatsoever um, but you know like if you look back at it like just thinking about term term three you know like lots of assignment uni applications whoa big deal like what, what should i say now i'm writing my like trying to write or trying to start my dissertation and then next year i have to figure out whether i want to go to enter the job market or continue my studies like you know you always have this kind of like life transitions and life stages and yeah it's part of the process you know i agree i've um it's actually it's, it's been interesting because basically i got into college like before ib exams really started so I like all of the pressure that I put on myself during exams was, was like purely from myself I wasn't like people who'd applied to the UK and gone conditional offers mm -hmm. where you actually had a goal that you had to achieve but so I've thought about like the academics part of it a lot so for me I still think that had I stayed at my school where I was before doing the IB like like I was doing the pre-IB program but not at a UWC. I still think my grades would have probably been better. Like I did fine in the IB, like um, not to complain, but I could have done even better if I hadn't had the whole UWC thing going on. Having said that, however, the things I think about, the things that I really like valued in UWC is like, first of all, just like the mission statement, like the values that they are like actively trying to bring to the world do you remember the mission statement right now <laughs> I, i'm trying to remember i think it was uh uwc is a force that unites people in diversity and peace for sustainable stop oh my god do you remember it i do they're gonna sue you like you're gonna get an angry email from our alumni office just now because you could couldn't say it <laughs> it's um UWC makes education a force to unite people, nations, and cultures for, for wait, for, 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 for peace, for peace for and a sustainable peace, future. Sustainable future. Yeah, that's sustainable it. Sustainable future. Okay. That's See. it. So, no, but like, actually, I still, you know, you get more cynical as you get older, I think, but I still do really believe in those values. I think spending formative years, like 16, 17, 18, in a community like that really changes you makes you really independent like you said but then also just like the experiential learning part of UWC so central and <laughs> I have to say like Milbury has yet to send me to Thailand to pick garlic and I find that very upsetting <laughs> like those are the types of things that you know um I think really made us a community and I think you learn a lot from it um yeah and that's why I agree like I totally would send my kids to WC depends on which one but still yeah I mean it you know and so such an integral part of the experience is the people that are there you know and how they they shape you like and I wasn't doing the pre-IB before that and like I was I went straight out of a public high school like in Italy like Italian girl not really speaking English and and you know I struggled so much the first month and then um one of the teachers Paul um 
he really really like looked after me and he really gave me like extra work to do because he saw me like he wanted to see me thrive and improve and he's the like person why I he's the reason why I can write like decent essays now and I can do them like one year before like one day or on the day of the deadline because I just learned the structure and the system but it's not just that it's just you know the daily interactions like you meet people from all sorts of places, places that I didn't even know existed, like Timor-Leste, and and you see all of them somehow like chaotically working, like living together and it works. And I know I feel like I took a piece of all of them with me now and in the person I am. And also, yeah, the mission statement really like got ingrained into my mind. Like it, it's, the first, it's actually one of the first reasons why I applied. Um, because I thought, wow, this is a cool school. Like, it's a school that also does something else other than schooling or, like, um, educating you. And, you know, I, you know, first year I was teaching English to kids in rural China. And I met, like, a nuclear bomb survivor in Hiroshima. And it was just, it was just crazy, crazy to think about it. And all of this while being friends with um, Fadi and Ayala, which are, you know, from Israel and Palestine. And somehow, you know, it works like if you put them in a community together it works but if they were in their home countries I doubt they would be friends or they would even speak yeah exactly and like I was gonna say like sometimes it doesn't work and then you are still sort of in this place where people are trying to like help you work through it you know and I think that teachers have such a huge part to play in it I think really there is a self-selecting group of people who a want to teach at EWC and b can actually handle it like if you think about the people who had been there the longest like Linda who we mentioned was my tutor and like our head of house and Michelle uh, who was also in block four and you know people who had been there for 20 something years it wasn't just that they were really good teachers it was that they had like the mission statement and the values just like ingrained in them that those were things that they really cared about. And I think just, you know, if you think about our house meetings, we had like a meeting with our residents every Thursday night and you were hearing about like cultural events or like current affairs that were going on in different places. But you were also like, guys, we live in this place together. So we need to treat these common places with respect and leave them in like good shape for other people to use. And, you know, those are good things to learn quite early on because then when you live in a dorm later on I mean I think you lived in an apartment right away but I moved into a dorm in the states and suddenly with these people who had like never left home and they just don't have any of those skills it's frustrating yeah I mean you can't blame them like they didn't have the same experience as us and yeah I feel like I didn't I didn't go to a dorm after um, UWC, but I went to, I shared an apartment with two other girls and I'm still sharing one with another two girls now. And it just makes a huge difference to know, like, like, because you need to understand that also part of, you know, being an adult is also managing this, this the chores and, you know, um, making sure you're eating well, making sure you're sleeping enough. And it sounds stupid. It sounds like you need a babysitter or your mom to tell you that, but it's actually so important for your mental health and I think this, this is one of the biggest lessons Linda has ever told us Linda oh my god I miss her um, I miss her too <laughs> and 
and yeah like um it's, it's just not just you know not not having shared like your living space with someone else before like in university also I found like with some people that you know never did like certain types of assignments that you know they were they just had a very um not not proactive attitude towards it like there was um so much negativity around the teachers and it was so easy to point the finger at the teachers and blaming for being responsible for not teaching you how to do it when in reality it's like one of the biggest lessons from UWC is that if you don't know how to do it you'll learn yourself how to and um and yeah and you learn that it's not a big deal to learn it by yourself yeah absolutely we're approaching 55 minutes so I oh. think those are good words to end this episode on this has been a lot of fun yeah, this has been a lot of fun first episode excited <laughs> so um if you are listening to this please do leave us a five-star review if you hated it leave us a five-star review and Sophia I'll talk to you next week See you next week, Alison. Awesome.